So hello, this is Dr. Shubhrata Chakraborty, a consultant endocrinologist based in Kolkata. Now I will be sharing with you some tips regarding the prevention and management of hypoglycemia. Now why this topic? So first things first. So please understand that hypoglycemia is one of the most common but potentially life-threatening complication in the management of diabetes mellitus because if not diagnosed, if not treated at the right moment, it might lead to hospitalization. It might lead to irreversible brain damage. So why does it occur? So when there's a mismatch between the serum insulin and the serum blood glucose, it leads to the precipitation of hypoglycemia. And in a diabetic individual, it is majorly due to the effect of some medications which precipitate or which have a predisposition towards causing hypoglycemia. So how do we recognize hypoglycemia? It's not merely a blood glucose reading or less than 70 milligram per deciliter by which we define hypoglycemia. It needs to be a combination of three specific factors by which we can categorize an episode as having hypoglycemia. So what are these three points which make us uh, believe that this patient was having a hypoglycemic symptom? So first of all, a combination of neuroglycopenic symptoms along with sympathoadrenergic manifestations. So what's neuroglycopenic symptoms? Like hunger, confusion, drowsiness, and if not treated, then it leads to coma. What's sympathoadrenergic manifestations? A combination of tremulousness, sweating, palpitations. The second point, a documented low blood sugar, less than or equal to 70 milligram per deciliter, detected by a standardized glucometer at home or a random blood glucose testing at the laboratory. And finally, and probably the most important part of this triad, the prompt resolution of symptoms after the blood glucose is raised. So both the diagnostic criteria as well as the therapeutic criteria, these are clubbed together to make a typical Whipple's triad. So hypoglycemia is confirmed by Whipple's triad. If your patient is not conforming to the Whipple's triad, then probably he or she is suffering from any other ailment rather than having or experiencing an episode of hypoglycemia. So it obviously means that an isolated blood sugar less than or equal to 70 milligram per deciliter won't mean anything until and unless the patient is also having these sympathoadrenergic manifestations plus minus the neuroglycomic symptoms and his or her symptoms not getting alleviated promptly after the blood glucose level is raised. So in majority of the diabetic individuals, it's a drug-induced hypoglycemia that leads to the precipitation of hypoglycemia. Now, we are specifically referring to the usage of insulin and or insulin analogs and or insulin which can predispose to hypoglycemia. And what specific factors are relevant in this arena is the dosage, whether they're used in any inordinately or unexpectedly high dosage, whether there was an inordinate gap between the administration of insulin and or insulin analogs or insulin secretagogues and the administration of the meal, or if there was any history suggestive of supraphysiological or accidental or malicious administration of these molecules with or without suicidal intake. 
Now we also know that there are some agents which do not cause hypoglycemia, like GLP-1 receptor analogs, DP4 inhibitors, SGL2 inhibitors, or even metformin and pyoglitazone. Now a question might be hovering in our mind, can these agents precipitate hypoglycemia? If the patient is not having any undue gap between the administration of these molecules with the administration of the meal, if the patient is not having any end organ dysfunction like chronic kidney disease or chronic liver disease or decompensated heart failure. Now, the common perception is that the usage of these molecules do not lead to hypoglycemia. But what we have seen and what has been documented in literature is that even these agents can also cause hypoglycemia even without the presence of precipitating factors like delay in the administration of meals or usage in supraphysiological dosage if they are used in combination with insulin and or insulin analogs or insulin secretagogues. So when these apparently safe agents are in a combination in a treatment regimen alongside those agents which predispose to hypoglycemia, then the safety net regarding causage of hypoglycemia for these agents appears to be lost. Now, what are the other factors which we need to if the patient has suffered an episode of hypoglycemia? What was the time period when the patient developed hypoglycemia? Was it at the dead of night? That's typically, we refer to nocturnal hypoglycemia because when the patient develops a nocturnal hypoglycemia, usually the insulin sensitivity is increased at night. And secondly, the patient might be taken off guard and the patient might directly land up into hypoglycemic coma. We also want to know if the patient developed hypoglycemia at the peak of vigorous exercise because at that moment, the glycogen stores are depleted faster. Whether the patient had a history of antecedent fasting or the starvation prior to the episode of hypoglycemia because here the exogenous glucose supply is decreased. Whether the patient had a recent increase in the intensity and or duration of exercise. So that might have increased the insulin sensitivity. Other factors like patients having an end organ dysfunction, like what I mentioned just earlier, patients having chronic kidney disease, decompensated chronic liver disease, decompensated heart failure, starvation, hypocortisolism, that is simply Addison's disease, or the patient having a prior history of uh, sepsis, malaria, all these are factors which might lead to an episode of hypoglycemia in a diabetic individual. What are the other factors we need to look after? Whether the patient was receiving the medications at the right dosage and whether there was any mismatch between the insulin vial and the insulin syringe. See, insulin comes in two formats. Usually it comes in U100, that is 100 units being contained in one ml of the insulin. And there are some insulin types where 40 units are included or contained within one ml. So it comes with a separate syringe, but there should not be a mismatch between the U40 syringe and the U100 vial or the vice versa. So when you try to administer the U100 vial insulin by a U40 syringe, you need to multiply it by a factor of four. But God forbid, if you happen to administer this U40 insulin by a U100 syringe, you run the risk of underdosing, you run the risk of precipitating hypoglycemia. So never try to administer one type of insulin with another. 
And secondly, we have seen that there are some patient profiles who develop hypoglycemia and they do not recognize the warning signs of hypoglycemia and they directly land up into hypoglycemic coma. So who are these patient profiles? Those patients who have a history of hypoglycemia unawareness. Those patients who had a recurrent history of hypoglycemia. So in these patients, the first line of defense, that is decrement in serum insulin on an episode of hypoglycemia. And second line of defense, that is a decrement in intraileate insulin triggering a rise in serum glucagon. So these two first lines of defense are practically lost and it critically depends on the third line of defense, the sympathoadrenaline release of epinephrine. Now in a patient with a recurrent history of hypoglycemia or a history of severe hypoglycemia where the patient requires external support, usually this third line of defense is impaired. And when the, all the three lines of defense are impaired, then obviously the patient runs the risk of landing directly into hypoglycemic coma. So it's typically seen in absolute beta cell failure. There is absolute endogenous beta insulin deficiencies like type 1 diabetes mellitus from the very beginning and a long-standing type 2 diabetes mellitus. So it's type 2 diabetes mellitus being suffered by an individual over and above 12 years or 15 years and in a pursuit for aggressive glycemic lowering. So all these factors actually act in concert, act in unison by which makes the patient a high-risk candidate for having hypoglycemia-associated autonomic failure. A patient might develop hypoglycemia and hypoglycemic coma even without recognizing the warning signs of hypoglycemia. So prevention is better than cure. And this is seldom better exemplified than the case of hypoglycemia in a diabetic individuals. So how do we prevent an impending episode of hypoglycemia? First of all, empower the patient. Explain to the patient in clear detail in patient's own language the warning signs of hypoglycemia, how to recognize them, and how to avoid them. So patient self-management and education. Patients should be well-versed with the performance of self-monitoring of blood glucose, how to perform SMBG with a glucometer. So patients should be explained in clear details in this arena. So it depends on the background age. It depends on the background comorbidities. It depends on the life expectancy. It depends on the support system of the patient and multiple other factors. And depending upon these factors, the patient might have an A1C target or might deserve an A1C target less than or equal to 7.5%. In an overzealous effort to reduce the blood glucose, you might do more harm than good. And finally, on the part of the treating physician, usage of insulin and or insulin secretagogues, the safe ones and a sensible dosage. And if the patient happens to land up in an episode of severe hypoglycemia, that is those episodes which require external support, then scrupulous avoidance of hypoglycemia for the next two to three weeks, even at the cost of uncontrolled blood glucose and revisiting the glycemic goals as and when needed. So a patient at the age of 50 years might deserve an A1C target less than equal to 6.5%. Now, after six to seven years, when the patient might have developed chronic kidney disease, when the patient support system might have dwindled, then we might revise the A1C target to 7% or less than equal to 7.2%. So the A1C target should be fluid, the A1C target should be dynamic. 
Now, what to do if the patient has already landed in an hypoglycemic episode in spite of all our counseling, in spite of all the education we have imparted to the patient, what to do at that critical moment? So immediate administration of any sugary item might be a rasgulla, might be a sandes, might be a glucose tablet or a cold drinks. All these would promptly normalize the blood glucose. But the next part is tricky. So this is where majority of the clinicians often fail to impress upon the patients that your treatment is not complete until you take a substantial amount of carb-based meal within half an hour. Because every episode of hypoglycemia brings with itself a condition wherein glycogen reserves in the liver are depleted. So to replete this glycogen reserves in the liver, the patient needs to take a substantial amount of milk after every episode of hypoglycemia. Now, the patient might be in a condition where he or she is not able to consume any food. Patient might be unconscious. So patient might have a tongue rolling and you are unable to administer any food via mouth. So what to do at such critical scenarios? So immediate administration of 25% dextrose or subcutaneous or intramuscular administration of glucagon, one milligram, might save the patient. So in this way, our focus as healthcare providers would be to minimize the episodes of hypoglycemia to minimal or negligible by a sensible choice of antidiabetic agents by assuring the patient that he should not have undue or prolonged exercise in an empty stomach. He, should, he or she should not have a undue gap between the medication and the meal. And we need to modify the treatment regimen depending upon the chronic kidney disease or chronic liver disease. And if at all the patient has landed up in a hypoglycemic episode, a prompt administration of a sugary item followed by a substantial meal. And if that's not possible, administration of 25% dextrose or one milligram of glucagon uh, subcutaneously or intramuscularly might help to save the patient. So that would be my tips to uh, the patients and the healthcare providers who might be listening to this podcast. Stay safe, stay happy, and thank you very much.